Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Departing from there, he went into their synagogue, and the man was there whose hand was withered. And they questioned Jesus, asking, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? And he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable, then, is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and it was restored to normal like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him as to how they might destroy him. But Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him, and he healed them all and warned them not to tell who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel, nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out, until he leads justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Some of you may uh, remember this. Many years ago, we needed a shed for, for the church, and one of the carpenters who was skilled uh, was going to build it, but a group of people wanted to help him. And so this group gathered to help build a shed, and while apart from the carpenter, they had never really done anything like this, but boy, were they full of suggestions. You know, what kind of siding there should be on the shed. I, I've read that this is better and that is poor material and my friend told me this and what kind of paint and where it should be placed and everything about the shed and this carpenter was getting more and more frustrated. All these unworkable suggestions, criticisms of his, his plans and finally he just sort of went off and he prayed for a bit. He was about to quit but he prayed and he came back and he said to me, I've learned something. This is not about building the shed. This is really about the people. It's not about the end product, in other words. It's about how we get there. And I've always admired him for that. He, he had a wonderful insight there about where the focus ought to be. People matter. Even people who speak out of turn, even people who don't really know what they're talking about, but go on and on giving advice and counsel to everybody and criticizing things which are wrong. Even people who use harsh language, people who stumble and make other people stumble because they're in the way. Even people like that need love and need to be brought along because the people matter. We want well-oiled machines. I, I think that's true. We want it in our family. We want things to just work smoothly, everything going well on time. We want it in our workplace, and we certainly want it in church. But what about the sheep who are a part of the church, who are in pain, who are clumsy, who trip over themselves? What about the sheep who are inefficient? 
That's what I'd like to talk about today from this text in Matthew 12. Because God's people are broken. All of us are broken. God's word says that very plainly. So what does Jesus do with broken people like us? So here's the three things. Jesus' priority, as revealed in this text, then Jesus' methods, and then the church's methods, because we follow the method of the Lord Jesus. So let's begin with Matthew chapter 12. We're re really beginning with this account in verse 9 and on. And it's this conflict with the rules of the Pharisees over the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are very plain. Rules are rules. Rules are there to be followed. But what is Jesus' priority here? So it's the Sabbath. They're watching Jesus. These are good rules. They're based on a perfect rule because God himself said one day in seven should be set apart. It's way back in Genesis chapter two. And so they're trying to honor this foundational rule. What could be more important than that? In fact, they're, they're so intent on guarding the sacred command of God that they add a few other, you might say guardrails to it, you know, a few more rules. Let's, let's make sure nobody wanders away from this rule. So what does it mean not to work on the Sabbath? Well, let's define it. it. It means you can carry this, but you can't carry that. It means you can walk this far, but you can't walk one step further. You can cook here, but you can't cook there. And on and on and on, they, they defined all these rules. And so here's Jesus. I, I think he's purposely tweaking their noses in this and in the previous account. He's questioning their priorities. So here in verse eight and on, it's the account of this man. He has a withered hand. So I have to think about all that that means. He can't work. Uh, he can't provide for his family. He might be in pain. He might be concerned and anxious about his future. All those things, all those various ways are affecting him. In other words, when we have one thing wrong with us, let's say a withered hand, it's not just a withered hand, it affects everything. It's affecting his family, it's affecting his economic status, it's affecting his future, it's affecting obviously his body, but it affects his mind, the way he thinks about the world, it's affecting his soul, it's probably affecting his faith. We're, we're integral, that's the way the Bible sees us. Everything that we are is all tied together. You know, if I have a small cut on my finger, I go to bed at night and it keeps me up. Have you ever had that? It's just a small cut, but every time it rubs against a sheet, something. So you don't sleep well. So I wake up in the night, I'm stressed out, I'm tired, and I say angry words to people I love. And so there's a broken relationship. Then I say, okay, I better spend some time praying, but I can't really pray. I'm tired and my focus isn't there. I can't really read. Then I go to work and I'm not working very effectively all day long. And I say, oh, what's the point? Does anybody love me? Does anybody care about me? What's the point of even living? Where is God when I need him? And it all began with a little cut on the finger. We're, we're tied together. Everything affects everything else. And so, here was Jesus healing a man, restoring a person. And this word restore is interesting in verse 10 and it's worth focusing on. A man was there whose hand was withered and they questioned, is it lawful to heal? Verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand and he stretched it out and it was restored to normal like the other. Restored, restored means there's a standard, right? 
He put it back the way it was supposed to be. This language is throughout the uh, scriptures, isn't it? That we don't realize it, and in our world, this is a word that's rejected. It says in our text, it was restored to normal. There is not supposed to be in a normal, but there is in God's eyes, and there certainly was in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a way things ought to be in our body. It's the, the way God made our bodies to function, and the choice is his, not ours. And so there's people, of course, that are uncomfortable with the way their bodies are. They say, I don't have the right body. It's not the way it is. And, and it means that there's something wrong with our thinking not something wrong with God's design. For example, there are, believe it or not, people who say they'd be happier if one of their limbs was cut off. I don't know what this man would say about that. You know, I, I wish I didn't have this arm. I wish I didn't have a leg. Strangely enough, it's often the left leg. Wish I didn't have this leg. This syndrome even has a name. There's a disharmony between the way their bodies are, as designed by God, and the way they feel, the way their minds are thinking. Apparently, the first uh, instance of this was in the 18th century, the first recorded case of this. An Englishman went to France, and he went to a surgeon, and he wanted his leg cut off. And the surgeon said, no, the leg is fine. I'm not going to cut it off. He says, you have to cut it off. And he drew a gun. And he said he'd shoot the surgeon if he didn't do this. So the surgeon performed this amputation. And later on, he got a note from the Englishman. He paid him the money. And the thank you note said his lug had been an invisible obstacle to his happiness. Imagine that. The way God made him, but he didn't like it. It was an obstacle to his happiness. So, so there's something wrong with us. That's what I'm saying. There's something wrong that we don't see the world the way God intended it to be. But Jesus' work is to restore us. To restore, yes, our bodies as he does here, but also our mind, our thinking, our feelings, our soul. So he knows how God wants our bodies to be and he restores them and he brings them into all that we are into alignment with God's design. Now that's just a, a little preface to the two points that I want to make from this portion of the text. Because there's two critical points that Jesus makes to explain to the Pharisees and to us. First is in verse 11. What man is there among you who has a sheep and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Point is simple. We happily bend the rules when something of value to us is at risk. I don't know if you know, you're a type A person, you want everything exactly the way it is, but guess what? There are things you value more than those rules. And if those rules ever come in conflict with someone you love or something you love, you will happily bend the rules. That's the first thing Jesus is saying. Now here's the second thing, it's in verse 12. How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? A man or a woman, a person, even one who's broken, is of greater value than anything we could ever own. That's his priority. That's what Jesus is saying. My priority is to take care of my sheep, even those that are broken. And that is more important, restoring and healing things so that they are back in the way God designed them to be. That's more important than any rule you could make up. 
So then, if that's Jesus's priority, that leads us to ask, well, what's Jesus's method for getting there? So here's the second point, how he cares for the broken. Uh, Matthew says that Jesus was fulfilling an ancient prophecy from Isaiah, and he quotes here from Isaiah 42. Really, it's not a quotation. It's a, more like a paraphrase of Isaiah chapter 42. And we find several things. First of all, his method is unexpected. Verse 19, he, the coming Messiah, Isaiah says, will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. See, the expectation was that the coming Messiah would be a warlike king, like, like King David, a warrior. Think of the movie Braveheart, you know. Mel Gibson as William Wallace. They're about to go to battle, and William Wallace has, you know, war paint on his face, and he's riding his war horse back and forth in front of his troops. He's yelling and screaming at them, fortifying them, and they yell back a warlike, defiant cry. And Jesus is not like that, he's saying. He's not like that. That's what the prophet said. Jesus said, that's the way earthly leadership is. In Matthew chapter 20, he said, the earthly leaders lord it over you, but it should not be so with you. You know, it's like what politicians do. You know, it's what people in power do. Do you know who I am? You can't treat me like that. Well, Jesus never did that. We're not, never to do that, by the way. In 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, Peter warns leaders not to lord it over others. Or as the Phillips translation colorfully puts it, not to act like tin gods. Jesus never did that. So the ministry of Jesus is radically different. You know, there's a, a meekness to it. He's not going to be in the streets with a bullhorn yelling and screaming. Friends, as, as one translation puts it, he will not quarrel or brawl. He would not be leading violent marches. He would not be burning buildings or breaking into buildings. He wouldn't be doing the things we've seen. That's not Jesus' method. In fact, here's what Jesus says about himself. If you, if you have your Bibles open, just look at the previous chapter. Chapter 11, verse 29, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. That's how he describes himself. I am gentle and humble in heart. So his, his whole character is different. But then these dramatic pictures of who he deals with. So as we continue reading Isaiah's prophecy, it says in verse 20, a battered reed he will not break off and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. So he tells us where this ministry of restoration, where the ministry of the Messiah will be, it'll be with those who are like broken reeds and smoldering wicks. I don't know, does that describe you? A battered reed, a broken reed. In fact, uh, here's one now. I, I, I got this from our rain garden. I like that title. It sounds better than ditch. But I got this from our <laughs> rain garden out there. And there's lots of them growing there. Just picked one. And, and the, the point that Jesus is making is, what can you do with this reed? Well, apparently, even in ancient times, apparently they did use it as a kind of a 
pen of some kind, you know, you could dip it in paint or something and paint. You could use it even as a measuring rod, apparently. And some people claim they even used certain kinds of reeds for music back then. But Jesus is saying, suppose it broke. Oh, boy, I did it. Suppose it broke like that. Now what good is it? Well, who cares? You just throw it away because you know what? I have more. And if this broke, I don't care because I have more. They're, they're just growing like crazy out there. That's what it, Jesus is saying in this, that this is a common thing. Rivers, marshes, everywhere these things grow. You don't have to care about these things. You just replace it. You just replace it. So why not just throw it away and get a new one? And, and what about people then who are like this? You know, people who, well, once stood tall and straight, had lots of uses. You could do many things with them and they could provide maybe music. They could be a standard, a teacher for other people. But, but now they're broken. We don't know why. Something happened to them. Maybe it was a frailty in them that was finally exposed. It was something that happened from the outside. Somebody attacked them, criticized them. Somebody battered them and they broke. What does the Lord do with fractured people? Does he toss them aside and say, well, you know, it's easy to find a replacement. There's so many of them, but not the Lord Jesus Christ. A bruised reed he will not break off. He's not gonna throw it away. And because that's Jesus' method, friends, that has to be our method too. We don't do that either. And then the second picture is a smoldering wick. Here's, here's actually a little lamp. Some of you have seen this. It's a replica of a, of a lamp from ancient Israel. You know, it has a little wick in it. Here's the wick. So you put oil in here, you light the wick, and it uh, starts to burn. And it's supposed to give light. Actually, I remember growing up, we had wicks like this. I didn't grow up in ancient Israel. I'm not that old. But, but I'm saying in India, we did have lamps like this. And we would put them on the walls of the houses. And it would be like Christmas lights. In fact, that's the time of the year when we use them. So, so they're supposed to give light. The purpose is to give light. But what happens if it's not working the way it's supposed to? What if it's smoldering? You know, something's wrong. Maybe it's run out of oil. Maybe the wick is too long. The wick itself is burning. What then are we to do with this wick? So it's a picture of someone maybe who's burnt out, criticized, overwhelmed by the work, maybe a sense of failure, unappreciated. Maybe it's someone who's hurt other people and hurt other people over and over and doesn't know why. And now it just wants to retreat. The flame is hardly, hardly flickering, you see. It's a, it's a dying ember, if you want to think of it that way. Instead of light now, there's this trail of black smoke. Have you ever seen a lamp like this when it's not burning properly? You get this smoke, and the smoke is clouding the room. The smoke is getting in people's eyes and burning their eyes. And people want to stay away from a person like this. And they say, just put it out, snuff it out, but not Jesus. Jesus will not snuff out a smoldering wick. And neither will those who are working in the name of Jesus and doing his work. 
So these are pictures of people, broken people, lifeless people, people feeling useless, forgotten, people who are maybe put aside, people whose lives are like dying embers, but they are the focus here of Jesus' compassion. They're the very ones that Jesus is intending to reach. Uh, it's actually, if you want to go back to the previous chapter one more time, look at his invitation in verse 28 of chapter 11. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, you see. Weary and heavy laden, those are the ones who are invited. And, and bruised reeds and smoldering wicks, those are the ones who are invited. So if that's Jesus' method, thirdly, then it has to be the church's method. We see Jesus' priority is his sheep, its people. We see his method is compassion for those who are broken and bruised and smoldering. And if that's Jesus' method, then that's, what, that's how we have to approach the broken world and the broken people who are in our own church and we're in the world. So we are broken, let's face it, we're bruised. And Jesus is at work restoring us. We're no different, all of us. I think the bruises are different for you than for me. The, the ways in which we smolder might be different. The remedies might be different, but our Lord Jesus knows and his spirit is at work in every one of us. And so that's our work as well. Now, of course, I will say, just as an aside, we have to be careful. This is a sort of a different topic, but there are some that we have to be careful of. They're not sheep who are just smoldering or bruised. We saw this a little bit, a glimpse of this last week from John chapter 10. There are some who are just there to destroy and kill and steal, remember? They're not coming in through the gate. They're not really sheep. They're not really shepherds who belong to Jesus. And we have to be careful of them and keep our distance from them. But as we think about Jesus' sheep, those who belong to the Lord, we'll find that they also need restoration. We need to be helping and working, co-laboring with the Lord Jesus in their lives also. Doesn't mean we affirm and accept everything that's broken either. That's not love. Oh, you have a withered hand? That's great. I love you the way you are. No, that's not what Jesus said. But we have to see troubled people through the lens of this verse, verse 20. We have to see them as battered reeds that we're not going to break off. We have to see them as smoldering wicks that we will not put out. The people that you work with, you know, the people that are in your ministry, the, maybe the people that you lead or the people you worship with. This is how we have to see them. It takes wisdom, therefore. How do I interact with them? When should they be invited to do something? When should they be invited to wait? How do I train them? It takes the power of the Spirit and love and patience, but that's our work, just as it's Jesus' work. So bruised reeds, people who, let's say, once stood proud, tall, strong, reliable, but now they're broken. So who's going to accept them? Well, Jesus will, and so will we. And smoldering wicks, burnt out, people who don't have any energy to serve anymore. They don't feel useful anymore. They maybe don't even see why or how the words and actions that are part of them hurt other people, like smoke 
that burns people's eyes. They don't see those things. Who will accept them? Who will love them? Well, Jesus will, and so will we, because we're his church. So Jesus' work and the work of his people, you and me, is to restore broken people. And his invitation is for us who are bruised and broken to come to him, and he will give us rest. He'll restore us. And aren't you glad for that? I'm really glad for that. That's what we need. That's what we desperately need. It'd be, it'd be easy to give up on a woman like Mary Magdalene. You know, in Luke chapter 8, it says she had seven demons. I mean, she was crazy. Can you imagine a woman with seven demons walking into church? Imagine her volunteering to be on the diaconate or to work in the nursery. How would you react? What wisdom we would need from God to accept and welcome someone who comes, who has been sent really by the Lord Jesus Christ and to very gently and patiently uh, join in with God's healing work and restore her to life. And that's what Jesus did for her. Or for that matter, the rich ruler who's described in Mark's gospel chapter 10, addicted to his wealth, so addicted that he couldn't even put aside his money even if it meant giving up eternal life. It's just amazing. He was torn. But it says something interesting. He gave his little speech. He explained why he was right on morally. His life was exactly in line with the commands. And before Jesus said anything, it's very interesting. It says Jesus loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I don't know in what way that love was expressed. Maybe, yeah, in the way he looked at him, the tone of his voice. Maybe he went over and put his arm around the young man. And he said, listen, young man, I want you to leave all of that and just follow me. Addicted. Someone who is in bondage and Jesus loves him. The restoration of his soul. Leave the chains of wealth and follow me. We could say, well, wait a minute. Those kind of people are going to do more damage than good. They'll be like smoke in everybody's eyes. You know, they just ruin everything. And that is possible. We have to be wise. Because broken people are not always easy. You know, we think of broken people like, um, like old teddy bears. You know, you might, like one lying on the side of the road, soiled, the stitching is gone, stuffing is coming out, the eye is all a kilter. And, oh, it just tugs at your heartstrings. I remember I had a teddy bear when I was a kid. Oh, I'm going to go clean that up and I'm going to stitch it. It's going to be as good as new. But broken people are not all like that. Some broken people are more like a shattered window, a shattered window pane. If you want to reach into their hearts, it's likely your hand will get cut. I, I always think that some people are like porcupines. If you go to hug them, you're going to get hurt. Broken people are like that. It, it costs to get close to them. But Jesus loved us when we were like that. And aren't you glad? And all of us have the same ministry. Think of Saul, whose name later became Paul. He pursued Christians and he persecuted him, but Jesus saved him. He, that is, restored his soul, put it in line with God's purposes for Paul, which was to know the love of God and to express the love of God to others. 
So Saul in Acts chapter 9 came up to, well, sign up to join the church. You know, he wanted to do ministry. He wanted to be accepted. And you know what happened? Everyone ran. Stay away from Saul. We know who he is. You're only going to get hurt. He's out to get us. He was dangerous. He was like that shattered glass, you know, don't even explore what this man is about. Except for one man, Barnabas, he didn't throw Saul away, but he put his arm around him and he brought him into the church. It was the ministry of Jesus. It was in the character of the ministry of the Jesus and he brought him into the church. Or for that matter, think of Peter. Man, that guy failed in such a spectacular way. Imagine someone who betrays you publicly at your moment of greatest trial. He denies that he even knows you when you need someone, someone to give you a friendly look. Would you ever trust someone like that, ever again? You can imagine what they were saying or how easy it would be to say, I'm not gonna have Peter in my small group, okay? I don't know what that guy's gonna do to me. Speak in church, are you kidding me? He has failed colossally. A guy with such a public, well-known failure should never be allowed to teach. But then Jesus met him. It's the last chapter in the Gospel of John. And he said, Peter, come, I wanna talk to you. And they had a lonely walk on the beach. And Jesus breathed, his words breathed life into Peter. Nobody else maybe would have wanted to hear Peter, but Jesus said, Peter, feed my sheep. I want you to do my work. I want you to, be in, to lead my church. Aren't you glad he does that? That's Jesus. That's the way he works. And that's the way we have to work. He takes people that are, are broken and twisted and bruised, and he puts them to work, and he restores them. I... I was just thinking, when I was a young man, I know I've shared this before, when I was a young man, I dreamed of a job where I would never have to speak to anyone. I mean, privately, one-on-one, -on -one, or publicly. I just didn't want to speak. My stammering and stuttering produced such anxiety and embarrassment in me that I didn't want to say a single word, ever. That would be, oh, that would be God's grace to me. But God didn't toss me aside. I, I hated every time I had to speak, but God continued to work with me, and uh, he called me to do that, and he showed me that his grace is stronger than my brokenness, my bruised tongue or mind or whatever it was that causes these things, and he's able to use anybody. He's able to put anybody to work. Aren't you glad that God didn't toss you on the ash heap? He healed, he restored us, he blew on those dying embers till the light flamed up again. And then he says in John's Gospel, chapter 13, love one another as I have loved you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, a healer, restorer, lover of our souls, the ones who knows the brokenness inside better than anyone, better than we do. The one that knows, Lord, how we are bruised, knows the points of sensitivity and pain in each of us, Lord. The things that make us flare up in anger, maybe. 
the things that depress us, make us feel useless. And we thank you, Lord, that you love us and that you're in the business of healing us. Every withered soul, Lord, is being touched by your hand and brought back to life. Thank you, Lord, even more that you've entrusted to us this ministry to be co-laborers with you. And God, we pray for grace to do it ably. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Friends, this year has battered us, I think. It's bruised us, it's broken us. The events that happened all last year, all last summer, the events that happened this past week, you know what happens when we get hurt? We respond with anger. That's a cause and effect. You'll see it in your life over and over. We respond with harsh words. We respond with meanness. We go on the attack. And in the end, it profits us nothing. We need this ministry of Jesus that was described in Matthew 12. Jesus who will not brawl or cry out in the streets. He will not brawl. Friends, can I say this? He won't brawl or cry out on Facebook. He won't brawl or cry out in email or in text or in private conversation. He's meek and quiet and friends, he works through us. As his people, our nation needs this ministry of humility and light through you and me. We have to be different. So that's my benediction. May you be the people, the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ in the church and in the nation. May you be humble and meek, restoring strength and light to those who are broken and bruised. Amen. God bless you.